afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back. We missed a week last week. Our, our guest last week uh, had a last-minute scratch because of an illness, and so we, we took last week off, but we are back and better than ever, as they say, on some place, many places, uh, with episode number 112. And I am pleased to have Nate Pribnow, the head girls basketball coach at Fremont Bergen High School in Fremont, Nebraska. Coach, how are you doing this Sunday evening? I'm doing great. How are you, Marty? I'm, I'm doing, we're doing okay. It was kind of a chaotic for a couple of days. So we went to visit our, our son up at South Dakota State uh, this weekend and came back. And today was kind of a catch-up day, but excited to have you on the podcast here. I know we're going to have a great conversation this evening. So, uh, But I appreciate you asking, Nate. That's that's greatly appreciated. So, uh, Before we get going, uh, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACChiro.com. Or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us. Obviously, you're listening. You're on iTunes, so be sure to rate this podcast five stars so that we can get the word out, gain momentum in the ratings, so that we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, one week left to go here in the regular season. Hard to believe that we're at this point already. Um, you know, opening night for us, you guys kicked the snot out of us, and uh, we've, you know, recovered some. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just hard to believe that we're here. Yeah, you know, and when you look at the whole thing and you get going in the middle of November and it seems like you just try to survive January and you get to February and uh, it seems like the sun's shining now and you're kind of <laughs> revitalized and, and ready to go here in the postseason play. So, yeah, one week left, we made it. And, um, I mean, obviously best of luck to you as we move forward here and um, hopefully everybody's playing their best and everybody's healthy here moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, that's what you want. I mean, you never want – uh, injury or, you know, obviously during these times, illness uh, to affect uh, postseason play and what it might do to a team. Uh, so uh, you're, you are absolutely correct there. You don't feel like such a vampire anymore leaving the gym. <laughs> like there's little streaks of sunlight still left uh, when you're walking out at 5, 5.15, 5.30, whenever you're leaving the gymnasium. Uh, so that's, that's a good feeling. So um, it is time for February basketball and 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 hopefully uh, everybody goes out there. Obviously, there's in our state. There's only going to be six teams that are really, really, really happy at the end of it. Uh, but hopefully, everybody can finish as strong as possible. So, uh, coach, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about you here a little bit. That's that's why you're on to talk about you. Um, tell us a little bit. Uh, we for those that that don't know uh, a whole lot about you, uh, tell us about your basketball journey, how you ended up at Fremont Bergen, and and just, uh, you know, what you've done to kind of build up that program. All right. Well, uh, probably the hardest thing, I guess, for any coach is talking about themselves, but uh, here we go, I guess. Um, grew up <laughs> on a farm between Scribner and West Point, Nebraska. 
uh, attended Scripner Snyder High School, four-sport athlete, fortunate enough to play football, basketball, track, play baseball in the summer. And I mean, it was, I think, my time spent there at Scribner with uh, good teachers, great administrators, fantastic coaches that really led me into education. Um, one in particular, I guess a couple in particular, uh, my football coach, Fred Ivey, uh, basketball coach, Pat Dunklow, really um, instilled a passion for for not only athletics, but for education. And uh, it just kind of led me uh, to where I am here, I guess, today. Uh, attended college, Midland Lutheran College in Fremont for a year back before it was Midland University. Mm-hmm. I tried the, tried the baseball thing. It uh, didn't work out. I ended up transferring after a year. I felt I was a little bit too close to home and ended up at Nebraska Wesleyan in Lincoln. And I did the baseball thing for a year, had back surgery in the middle of my junior season of uh, middle of my junior year of college. Uh, so gave up the baseball thing, but graduated in 2010 with a math degree. And like any recent grad, I was uh, wondering what's next. Where do I go from here? And it seems like I, I applied everywhere. It seems like I wanted to stay kind of on the eastern side of the state, but uh-huh. Um, really looking for anybody that would take a, a math teacher, and uh, lo and behold, the, the place that I thought was too close to home, um, Fremont, Nebraska, Archbishop Bergen shows up in the paper and send my stuff in. And principal at the time was Ron Beacom, and um, he was a, a great influence on my life too. And very fortunate to have spent time working with him. He's the superintendent at Neely Oakdale while still serving at the as the head football coach up there. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was kind of hesitant, Fremont. Bergen being so close to uh, my hometown of Scribner, we were kind of rivals back in the day, and uh, little did I know that I was going to end up calling this place home um, now for 12 years, but uh, I was offered the position, accepted it, um, initially asked about a, a boys' basketball position. Uh, Chris Paulson was our head coach for the, the boys' team at that point in time, and a uh, ton of respect for Chris. He was the, the coach at Bergen when uh, we would have been competing them when I was competing against him when I was a, an athlete in high school at Scribner Snyder and I uh, thought maybe I could learn a lot of stuff from him getting on staff unfortunately they were full mm-hmm. so uh so I took a position as the uh freshman coach for yeah. the girls squad uh under Jim Jones and it was kind of a weird situation because we didn't actually have a freshman team <laughs> that year we only only had two freshmen um so I kind of just a lot of stuff behind the scenes watched some film um tried to learn as much as I could but uh, I didn't really actually coach in a game until uh, a varsity. I was named the varsity coach the very next year, and uh, that was my first time ever in-game coaching stuff, so I guess that was kind of crazy. But uh, during my time, I guess I've served as a, not only the girls' basketball coach, but uh, an assistant track coach, junior high football coach, um, just kind of stay busy with the school and really kind of involved in a lot of stuff that goes on there. So. Uh, I was kind of hesitant, I guess, about taking the girls' job, just my lack of experience and and not really knowing what I was getting myself into. Um, But fortunately, Coach Paulson, again, he was a great influence on me. Uh, He talked me into accepting it. He had some girls that were coming up through the program, and maybe he saw something in me that I didn't quite see in myself. But, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like I said, accepted the job. I was 22 years old. I'm a head coach of a girls' basketball team, and I had no idea what I was doing. So... Uh, here I am, uh, my 11th year as uh, the same position, and I still some days feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, but we keep working at it every day. Well, I've been doing it for 26 years, and there's days where I don't feel like I know what I'm doing either. So I, I think that's just a, the natural uh, feeling that you have when you have those expectations of yourself and uh, what you feel like you, you should 
be doing and and how you want to uh, present your program. Um, this this might be the most important question uh, I have to ask you, Nate. This this could be a very short podcast. Uh, <laughs> baseball, your favorite baseball team? Oh, Kansas City Royals. Okay, you're safe. You're safe. Okay. Okay. As a loyal Cubs fan, if you just said Cardinals, we I would have had to you know we would have <laughs> to cut this off pretty quick. But uh, you know, Kansas City Royals, that's fine. That you, you had a one in 30, 30 chance of of being wrong. So that, that the, the odds were in your favor. Not to quote the Hunger Games too much there. So um, <laughs> that's good to hear. Uh, what was what was the uh, one or two things that, as you were getting into it? You're twenty two years old, like you said. You, you had never coached a a game per se until you were a varsity head coach, what did you, um, what were some things that you were really uh, surprised about uh, coming into it? Like that you didn't realize, oh man, I didn't know I had to do this. Uh, what were the top two or three things on that list? Uh, yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because, you know, when everybody starts getting into coaching and thinks they want to be a head coach. It's There's a lot more to it than just coaching basketball. Um, I think the, the communication with the parents is a big thing. Um, just communication with the girls in general, too. I mean, just being honest about everything and, and being an open book and being available when they need to talk to you and when parents have to talk to you and email you and all sorts of stuff. I think that was a big thing. And then just the time commitment. Uh, I, I was like pretty much everybody else when you come out of college you're gonna change the world and this is gonna be easy and i'll i'll turn this team around in a in a matter of years and then you, you look back and you're like wow i really I really had no idea what what i was getting myself into i mm-hmm. my expectations for myself were extremely high which i think is a good thing but uh i may be unrealistic at times mm-hmm. too um so i think that's probably the two biggest things is just the everything that goes into it and and I mean, just it's a it's a big time commitment if you want to be really good at it, I guess. Yeah, you, you know, speaking of, of of rebuilding things, you guys are now kind of in that uh, real fortunate spot. Uh, you've had a nice run of athletes, and and you're you're pretty much a perennial contender uh, to to at least get to the state tournament, if not get to the state tournament, if not to make some noise at the state tournament. Uh, but you know, you you kind of said it yourself. You know, it, it took longer than than what I expected. Uh, what were some? Because uh, when you took over at Bergen, you know, they were not very good, and you get you've built it up into this really really nice program. So so what what do you think were kind of some of the key things that you did and learned along the way to to build this up over about six or seven years where you finally break through? I think it was eighteen was your first year at the state tournament, and then nineteen. Yep. You won it, um, so it was it was a six, seven, eight year build to get things to that point. Uh, what were some of the the things that you did? Uh, maybe perhaps some adjustments along the way that you made to to get things up to to where you have it now. Um, I think probably the biggest number one thing, um, the success that we've had with our program here as of late, is our youth program. Uh, we for for the longest time, obviously, anybody that's paid attention to class c2 d1 boys basketball in the early mid 2000s knows the the success of the Fremont bergen boys program under coach chris paulson and i think he would attest a lot of that success to our night hoops program that we have going every night heck tonight i was i was coaching second and third graders from 5 to 6 p.m mm-hmm. um it's so we we start our kids in preschool kindergarten um we get them together one hour 
every week uh, for 10 weeks during the course of the basketball season. We'll start right around the Thanksgiving time and we'll end a week after the Super Bowl. So we, like I said, we get about 10 weeks of practices in and it's a big time commitment, but it, it pays a lot of dividends at the end. Um, so I, I'm coaching girls right now that I've been coaching since they were in, you know, first grade. Mm-hmm. So uh, just, just being able to have girls around the program, having and it's a it's a joint program for us. So both our, our boys and our girls coaches work together, and we have some parent volunteers as well. But um, just getting girls and boys around our program and getting a basketball in their hand and really building it from the ground up, I, I think has been probably the biggest thing, uh, biggest part of our success here that we've had over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Is there is there any big mistakes that you felt like along the way that you corrected and made it better? Uh, yeah, I, I think probably the biggest one was uh, being a, a high school athlete and then college athlete. I, I think you grow up just, especially in my era and maybe your era too, you, you tend to like demonize the, the opponent sometimes, like anything in your power to, to think like, well, I have to beat them at, at all costs. And I think that was probably my mentality coming into it as well as opposing coaches, uh, opposing players. It's like, well, what do they know? I know better than them. And I think that just with age and, and figuring out that I, I don't know everything, um, reaching out to other people and, and seeing what they do, um, talking with other coaches and uh, just figuring out, you know, I don't know everything. There's people that have a, a lot more knowledge than I do and and really just listening to them. Like, I, I was funny that I was listening to your pod when you were talking to Tom Tiverti uh, way back when and he was going through his stories like, yeah, I was coach, I was a in a, a game at Grand Island Central Catholic, and there's this young coach from Archbishop Berg, and I'm like, oh, right. he's talking, he's talking about me. I, and I remember that vividly too. And he's like, Coach, just stick with it. You're doing a lot of good stuff. Um, you know, probably not winning a lot of games right now, but uh, you know, just keep on doing the things you've been doing. Reach out to people that have been having a lot of success, and you guys will turn it around. And and sure enough, it ended up working out. But I, I think that's probably the biggest thing is reaching out to other people and realizing that you're not in it by yourself. And there's a lot of people, not only in the, the high school coaching realm that will help you out, but also in the, the college coaching realm too. You reach mm-hmm. out to college coaches and, and they're extremely helpful and uh, they're willing to help you out in any way that they can go watch practices. And mm-hmm. um, there's just, there's a lot of things out there that are available to you that I maybe didn't look for early on in my career. Yeah. Um, you guys have also done a lot of good things within the Fremont area. You've developed uh, an, an AAU program called the D-League over there. Uh, tell us kind of that background of the D-League. I know you guys, I think it was, is it Norfolk that, that started this initially? And then it's kind of trickled down into Fremont. Maybe I'm wrong with that. I'm going to allow no. you to correct me uh, if, if that's what's going on. But kind of tell us what you got going on with, with that program and how it works for, for, your, uh, for, this, for this D-League uh, program. No, you're exactly right. It, it originated in Norfolk. So there's Norfolk D-League and um, kind of a co-op situation here where now we have a Fremont D-League as well. And uh, originally, like Tim Bittner, I don't know, a lot of people know the name, but he's a, a skills guy. It uh, does a great job working with kids. Mitchell Schultze um, out of Norfolk as well. I think he played at Morningside back in the day. But um, they started the, the Norfolk D-League and um, really developed a lot of kids and Norfolk was, was having a lot of success on the boys side there. Um, mm-hmm. and then it, they were able to actually, this was our first year. I think that we were able to have the, the Fremont D league. We were planning on doing it two summers ago. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, COVID happened and everything kind of shut down. So this last summer was uh, the first time that we actually had the, the Fremont D-League and D-League stands for Developmental League. And I, I think they do a fantastic job with exactly that. They they develop skills. It's not so much always team-oriented. They they want to get kids better at basketball, kids that are willing to put in the work, willing to put in the effort. Um, they really do a great job of developing skills with them. So we actually, um, four of our starting five played D-League this last summer. Um, we had, we had a good team coming in and after July, we had a a lot better team as a result of it. So, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. Anybody that's been involved in AU, obviously there's a lot of great programs around the state and, and the Fremont D league is a good one. It's a lot of good coaches. Um, my, my own assistant coach, Jim Peitzmeyer actually coached the the high school girls team. So, Uh um, you know, maybe our girls get a little sick of us from time to time, but (laughs) Uh, he does a fantastic job, not only in season, but uh, he, he took some of his own time during the summer and, and helped out not only our own girls, but some girls in the area as well. And you, you talked about, I, I think, uh, you know, it's it's not as expensive as, as other programs. It's not as intense either. Uh, you, you guys aren't going all over the place, but the focus is on just skills and, and working on transferable skills that kids can take uh to their high school teams, and that's that's kind of the the mission of the program, isn't it, Nate? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to go play in tournaments. They're they're going to go compete, and they're going to have a handful of girls from surrounding towns that are playing with one another. But yeah, the ultimate goal is that they're they're improving their own skill set to go help their high school teams when when the season rolls around, and you know, mid November through through hopefully early March. So, mm-hmm. uh, they, they do a good job of just developing those skills that, that are going to help girls immediately. And, and not only girls, it's the, the boys as well. And, uh, it, it's just a really good program. Like you said, that they, mm-hmm. they develop the skills that kids can take and help with their own team. Mm-hmm. A pen and a napkin university university is offering a new video for our listeners. Our newest video is 25 universal truths about coaching. In this video, you'll get tips on how to work with parents and administrators, tips to help build your program, and thoughts and ideas on how to take care of yourself. For just $10, this video will help you look at coaching differently. For ordering information, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Coach, you are, uh, I, don't know if for, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate. I know it's more fortunate than unfortunate, but I'm sure there's some times where you're like, Man, can this get a little bit easier? Can we just have one night off in conference play? Uh, you are in the Centennial Conference, which, uh, for my for my dollar, um, this is year in and year out the most consistently uh, stacked girls basketball conference, top to bottom, in the state. That that's my opinion. Uh, I I think a lot of the fact is backed up with that. Uh, you're in a unique situation as well. We were talking about this before we um, started taping. Uh, you are usually the smallest school in this stacked conference. Uh, like you said, there's another school uh, that's kind of near your enrollment now. Uh, but but what is it, you know, I put down here, sh- steel sharpens steel. Uh, so So how does the Centennial help prepare you for... A week from now, when it's it's you know it's one and done time, and you know you got to find a way to get it done every thirty two minutes. Uh, yeah, um, Centennial Conference. The it's 
It's a, it's a tough one, as you mentioned. Um, the year that we were fortunate enough to win a state championship in 2019, there were actually three state champions from the Centennial Conference that year. Uh, St. Cecilia won Class C2, and Lincoln or Newman, I think Newman ended up winning C1 to beat Lincoln Christian in mm-hmm. the, the final, actually. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, steel shirts and steel right there. Uh, it seems like especially this time of year in January as we get into a lot of our conference play and our conference tournament, like, as you mentioned, there, there really are no nights off. Uh, Mm -hmm. the one thing that I I think all Centennial conference teams do is they play really good defense and you'll see that if anybody goes and looks at our scores, it's like, wow, they only scored 35 points or something like that. And, and we had to work for every single one of them. Um, it's, it's just a, a quality conference from top to bottom. And, uh, there's always a handful of teams that are going to be at the state tournament. And, and as you mentioned, we're class D one competing against a lot of C one schools, um, a couple of C two schools. And uh, we're, we're kind of a little dog in the fight. And fortunately for, for our girls that have been through this before, um, they understand that, you know, we're going to lose a couple of games over the course of the season. Um, heck we, we might get stuck a couple of games over the course of the season. Uh, for example, that state championship team that we had, we played Bishop Newman at the, the last game of the regular season and they beat us like 71 to 50. And <laughs> I think our girls, our girls were a little dejected headed into the locker room and, and I was too, but uh, little did I know they were going to be the, the C1 state champs that year. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's fortunate that as you mentioned, kind of fortunate, but unfortunate um, it's fortunate that we know that we're going to be tested every single night. And uh, you know, you, you learn some stuff from winning games, but I think you learn a lot more from losing games. You, mm-hmm. you learn a lot more from, from not having success in, in areas that maybe you need to get better. And, uh, and we have a lot of tests over the course of the season. So um, at the end of the year, you know, we're going to end with records that sometimes are 12 and 10 or 13 and nine, or like right now we're, we're 13 and five, I think. And heck we could drop a couple in a row here, but um, by the end of the year, I know we're, we're going to be a really tough team to beat. And I don't think anybody in, in class D one right now really wants to see us in a, a sub district or a sub state game because uh, they know the teams that we've played and, and the battle testing that we've gone through over the course of the season. Is that like uh, you, you kind of mentioned it? Is that something that you kind of have to remind your kids as you go through your journey every year? Hey, you know, you know, Wahoo Newman, let's say uh, Bishop Newman, you know, they're they're really good. They got a chance to do blank or Hastings St. Cecilia has got a chance to do blank or Carney Catholic has got a chance to do blank here. Um, and and if you do get kind of get boat raced a night or two, uh, do you kind of have to, you know, remind your kids of, you know, the quality of competition that you're playing and, and how it's going to help them in the long run? Yeah, without a doubt. It's uh, things that we talk about in practice. Um, we don't spend a whole lot of time about it, obviously. Uh you, you lose a game, you're going to learn some stuff from it and move on. But uh, yeah, it's things that we bring up that, you know, we, we don't have to beat Lincoln Christian at the end of the year. We don't have to beat Bishop Newman when, when district play rolls around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we get an opportunity to compete with them. And I, I think that's probably the word that I use the most with our girls is, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. It's like, Oh man, we have to play against them, which I mean, it's just a, a very negative connotation to it where, Whereas I like to present it as, wow, what a fantastic opportunity for us. We get to play against a, a great team, um, and we get an opportunity to to go out there and beat them and compete with them and um, and do some really fantastic things. So, yeah, Centennial Conference is tough. Um, then we throw on top of it, like last year we went on a six-game losing streak in, in January. Um, for, we started off the year this year 8-0, and we're – five and six since then so mm-hmm. uh january gets really tough for us you throw in some other non-conference opponents that we play 
Blair. We play North Bend. We play West Point Central Catholic. And uh, it, it it's hard taking those losses sometimes. But but as you mentioned, I think we get we get a lot better and, and we're a lot tougher team at the end of the year because of it. You need to talk to your AD. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get a couple of those uh what do you, what do you call them the guarantee games or whatever they call them in in uh, college football uh you know you, you need to bring in the the no shoot tech or something like that to just you know give you give yourself a night off here a little bit so uh but i'm I'm just kidding uh it, it is good it, it does sharpen you it does make you better i know i had a couple of teams at my old job that man you know the, the one year uh we had seven losses uh, but we played. Uh, we ended, well, we ended up with eight after the state tournament. But we played twenty four games, and fifteen of them were against ranked teams. Yeah. And you know, there, like I said, there was a few times. I remember we went through a stretch where we lost three games out of four over about a, a, a two week span, and all three losses were in double overtime. And it was just like. Come that on. makes you pretty old in a hurry. Come on, you know. But who did we lose to? We lost to Lincoln Pius in double overtime. We lost to Sioux Falls Roosevelt in double overtime, and we lost to Wahoo Newman and uh, in double overtime. And you know, I think Newman won it that year. I, I think Pius finished in the in the title game that year, something like that. I, I forget exactly, but you know, so you're and Sioux Falls Roosevelt, I think, won it that year in South Dakota. You know, so. It was so frustrating, and that th- the pious was the third one. And I always, I told my wife, I said, if there was a, if there was an eighteen wheeler rolling by right now, I would just jump in front of it. That's how, just like, because I knew we were a really, really good team, but we just couldn't get over that hump. But I think it helped us once we, once we got the district time. It's just hard lessons that you have to go through, don't you think, Nate? Yeah, it is without a doubt. And and our girls, we we say this all the time to them too. Like, it's harder to win our conference tournament at times than it is to win a state tournament. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's harder to win a, a regular season conference game than it is to win a, a sub-district game just because of the, the, the size of the school that we're competing against and, and the quality of opponents. So, um, yeah, it, they are some hard lessons to learn. And obviously, you lose some games as a result of it. But uh, fortunately, our girls kind of have been through it before, and they're all on board and, and still super positive here moving forward. Well, speaking about having everybody all on board here um you, you you know you're you're pretty good at this you're, you this is the second segue right into the next question uh Prib, now you're you're pretty sharp here man you got this stuff down already you know so uh, you, you, not only has your program uh your program been good but your football program has been good your boys basketball as you refer to your volleyball has been good uh what what are you guys doing there and i'm always curious i think it's important that uh when you're when you're at a school that is successful in a lot of different things, that it's important that we we talk about what you're doing there because that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes you have selfish coaches that think it's just about their program and they they do things to handicap other uh, programs or activities. Uh, but so so what are you guys doing there at, at Fremont Bergen that is allowing for all of this success? for all of your kids in, in so many different things? Um, I think the, the biggest thing is we have a lot of kids that are involved in a lot of activities. Uh, the, the girls in particular, uh, talking about them, they've been in oh, four consecutive state finals now in volleyball. Um, they've been in the state semifinals last three years in, in the finals, I guess two of those three years. 
Uh, and it's a lot of the same names that you see on the volleyball court that you see on the basketball court. Um, it, it takes a it takes a joint effort by um, not only myself but our volleyball coach Sue Ewell and, and working with one another and not trying to outshine one another or one another's programs. I guess I should say uh, it, it's really just us realizing the the tremendous quality of athletes that we have right now and um, not trying to do too much with any one of our programs and letting our girls be involved in a lot of stuff because uh, you know a handful of years ago we had a lot of girls that they focus on just playing volleyball or they focus on just playing basketball we didn't get a lot of the the girls that were doing numerous activities and um, weirdly enough you get them all competing in a a number of things you got a a lot of really good athletes right now and you find yourself having a lot of success in in both of those things and then you mentioned football and um, we've had some success in wrestling too and we were a state runner up in in the one act play production this year so um, we're just going through a really kind of special run of of students and student athletes and and students that are involved in all of our extracurricular activities how do you guys work out the off-season stuff between, you know, let's say you and volleyball or you and cross-country, you know, the, the, the fall sports and the winter sports? Um, so our, uh, our off-season kind of looks like this. Monday nights are reserved for uh, summer league for basketball. So we go into, uh, into that fully knowing that, that we get Mondays, um, but during whether it's June or July, um, both both teams are working on skill set. Uh, let me just kind of give you a rundown, I guess, of a, a June for our girls, which is probably their their most hectic month mm-hmm. um, during the summer. Uh, our weight rooms open uh, four days a week, Monday through Thursday. We don't put like a number on it or anything. How many times that they're expected to be there? But my expectation for them is, if you're there, you're going to be working hard. So. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately I'm able to get in the weight room a couple times a week and, and see our girls and, and talk to them and work with them. Um, we do agilities in addition to that and Mondays and Wednesdays, uh, after the, the weight room stuff, we reserve for basketball skills. Uh, most of the time it, it turns into our girls shooting on the gun, to be honest with you. Um, maybe sometimes we'll do some, uh, some ball handling stuff that they'll just kind of lead on their own. Uh, we'll maybe play up and down a little bit, but a lot of it's just, just shooting basketball, mm-hmm. uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, our girls do volleyball stuff after the weight room. So they'll do some skills, skill work. They'll get out a couple of volleyball nets and do some skill work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, Monday nights are, are reserved for our leagues. Our girls, uh, varsity girls, go to Elkhorn South, and we kind of get our tails kicked in the, in the summer going to Elkhorn South and competing against bigger schools. And I think over the last couple of years, we've maybe won two or three games in, in summer league with our varsity group. But Again, I, I think it really prepares us for the, the schedule that we're going to see over the course of the regular season. And then our JV girls play at Midland, so we have a nice little partnership with them where uh, I kind of set the league up and our, our girls are, are able to play in it for free, and Midland allows us to use their facility. Um, and it's kind of a nice little thing for us, and we actually bring our, our seventh graders and eighth graders, play with our JV group a little bit too if we're short on numbers. So um, just kind of get them acquainted with the program uh, moving forward. And then actually on Tuesdays, our JV, I think volleyball, I think it's JV volleyball, maybe varsity volleyball, but Tuesdays and Thursdays, we either have a JV or a varsity volleyball in June. So, uh, it, it's hard for our girls. They're, they're spread pretty thin, but, um, they're always on the go. Um, fortunately we haven't run into a lot of overdose injuries or anything like that, but, uh, I think it's a big part of it that our girls are just kind of always competing year round. 
uh, it, it's one thing to say, you know, we're working on skills and stuff, but, but they really do compete. They, they work to win basically year round. And I think that will to win just carries over into the regular season with us as well. Um, when July rolls around, I kind of turn stuff over completely to, uh, to volleyball. We'll do some skill stuff in the mornings, but at the end of the day, I, I want to take a vacation every once in a while too. So, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let them kind of do whatever it is they want to do on the volleyball side. We'll maybe do once a week for skill set stuff, but uh, volleyball is kind of getting ready for, for their season to begin, and I kind of turn it over to them at that point. Mm-hmm. Vacation. Yeah. What, yeah. What's, that's, the, the, that's a foreign word. No, I'm just kidding. But you're, you're right. You're right. I think that's, I think that's a great plan uh, that you have put out there. I, I love the weight room Monday through Thursday. That's what we're trying to get our kids to uh, actively doing at all times so uh and and that weight room just shows a lot about your kids and what uh it's hard it's difficult and but when you build that toughness in the weight room it carries over to competing out on the court i i really really believe that especially the older i get i believe that more and more and and i know skills are important but Man, I think sometimes it's harder to find a tough kid than it is a really skilled kid. What do you think of that, Nate? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the the harder you work in the off season, the harder it is to give up in the regular season. I think so. Uh, there's a quote that I I saw that I kind of come back to from time to time. The the more you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in battle. And I'm not trying to like say it's the same thing as going to war or anything, but. But I think there's a lot to take away from that. The, the harder you work in, in your practice session, in your practice season, your off season, in your weight room, uh, the, the easier things come when, when the season rolls around. Uh-huh. I'm writing that one down. I had never heard that one before. I like it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one from you. Yeah, the more you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in battle. Yep. The okay. less you sweat in practice, or the more you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in battle. Okay. That one's going up in Fort Calhoun, so I'm, I might put that on my locker room in my locker room when we play you guys next year, just to leave you a little note. So, mark your calendars for Saturday, April 9th, for the second annual A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic at Fort Calhoun High School in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha, Nebraska. We have a great day lined up for you and your coaching staff. From large group speakers to classroom sessions to discussion tables, the A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic promises to make you a better coach. Clinic rates are $40 for one coach, $75 for two coaches, $100 for three coaches, and if you bring four or more coaches from the same staff, it is just a flat rate of $30 per coach. For more details, check out A Pen and a Napkin at A Pen and a Napkin on Twitter, or you can email us a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Pribnow, you know just as well as I do, it is time for our John Wooden quote of the day. Are you ready for it, sir? Yes, I am. All right. The John Wooden quote of the day is, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I, I, I love it in practice. I love when my kids make really, really positive mistakes and I get to point out why that's a good turnover, for example. When your head is up and you're throwing the ball 40 or 50 feet up the floor trying to hit an open teammate and you throw it a little bit too far or, or things like that. Or, uh, you know, just, just, just simple things like that. And, and we, we have an imperfect game that we play. 
And we've got to, I've always believed that you got to have your kids, it's easier to pull your kids back than it is to get them more aggressive. And that's what, that's what I see in that quote there, uh, that, that over aggression, sometimes you're going to have mistakes, but boy, you're going to make a lot more happen as well. Yeah, without a doubt. And the one thing I guess I would take away in addition to that is if you're just doing the things that, that you're comfortable with all the time, I don't, I don't think you're really developing as a player. And one thing that we try to highlight with our girls is they're around each other so much and in practice and playing against one another so often, we know what each other's weaknesses and strengths are. And I think if we can get each other out of our own comfort zones and, and really force our teammates into uh, developing things that maybe they're not as good at, you know, maybe you got a, a knockdown shooter and uh, you come flying out at her and you, you force her to put the ball on the floor and attack the, the rim, uh, yes, mistakes are going to happen, but I think you become a more complete player, and, and I think you become a more complete team as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's interesting that you that you say that. Uh, I, I think that it is. It is so easy when you're playing. You were you were talking about those pickup games that your kids might play in June. Uh, you know, what am I going to do to make Mary uncomfortable today? Um, and and here's you know here's what I need to do to make myself uncomfortable and work on this. And now's the time to experiment. I really one of the things that we do in our practice is we'll have ten minutes ish a day working on ball skills and things like that. And we tell our kids, hey, now's the time to screw up. Now's the time to experiment. Now's the time to work on things that you're that you're trying to develop so that you can use them on Friday night. And if you mess up, this is the point to mess up. And I think that it's important that we encourage our kids to do that in those practice settings. Yeah, without a doubt. And 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 I think the big thing is being positive about it too, as you mentioned, that, you know, like shooting the ball, for example, you're you're gonna miss more shots than than you make. Most most girls that are playing high school uh, basketball in Nebraska out there. And we tell them in practice, you know, sometimes you can see that they're wearing their emotions on their sleeve. They missed a handful of shots in a row and maybe going through a little bit of a slump. And it's like, this is why we're shooting. We're, we're doing this because we want to keep on getting better. We're, uh, we're not playing our best basketball yet. We're not shooting the ball as well as we can yet, but, but we're going to keep on working on it. So yeah, definitely without a doubt, being positive in everything you do and, and not being afraid to make mistakes in practice and knowing that, uh, it's going to help you improve on, like you said, on Friday and Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. Well, coach, let's let's get to what is making you guys successful on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, let's let's start here. Uh, you you were willing to talk about some things that we haven't talked about a lot recently on the pod, so I want to make sure that we hit those first and foremost. Uh, transition defense. Uh, that was one of the things. You know, what's your transition defense philosophy? How do you guys work on it? Uh, Nate, you've listened to enough of these. You know, at this point, I kind of just sit back and let you start talking, and I'll throw in a few yeah. questions if 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 something pops into my head. But tell us about what you're doing there at Bergen with your defensive transition philosophy and and why it's uh, you know why it's been successful for you. Um, I I guess the first thing that we would start with, uh, we don't like really jump into our transition defense stuff right away. The first thing that we do, and something that we do every single day, is we do some sort of shell, um, whether it's four on four or three on three, um, maybe just a two on two, defending ball screens type, type stuff. But uh, it's, it's hard to be a, a transition defensive team where you're going to have a lot of success if, if you're not a good half court defensive team, I think, too. So um, with our with our shell, we often try to build it right away with four on four. Uh, and we'll, we'll mix it up from time to time. But, but the initial build, 
Uh, we're talking about positioning. We're talking about, you know, hands in the passing lane. Um, we kind of run two different types of defense based on the opponents that, that we're seeing. We have a team that, you know, maybe uh, puts the ball on the floor a lot more, dribble attacks hard. We'll play more of a gap style and, and really try to, to shut them down. A team maybe that doesn't handle it as well and maybe better shooters will we'll get our hands in the passing lanes. But I'm really just building our, our positioning and, and our hand placement and our help side and making sure that we're communicating. And one thing that we tell our girls is I know not all five of you are going to be talking on the defensive side and when a game rolls around and you know, you're in the the 31st minute of of that game. But if I can get four of you talking here, I might get two of you when the, when the game's going on, I might get three of you when the game's going on, but the the communication part I think is, is huge. So um, as we start to build our, our half-court defense, um, one of the things that we start to, to do to build our transition defense, and I'm sure a lot of teams do it, we're not doing anything special, uh, we do a lot of like circle transition stuff. We do five-on-four plus one transition stuff, just a, a lot of advantage and disadvantage drills. Um, and, and the same thing with our four-on-four shell, too, where we get some, some advantage and disadvantage and, and put the defense at a disadvantage where they have to play four-on-five for, uh, for a brief period of time until they can get that fifth defender to, to step in and um, everybody rotate around and, and recover. So um, just putting our girls in some kind of scramble situations where, where they have to talk and they really have to work through it. And at the beginning of the year, it doesn't look very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just doesn't. But as you do it every single day, uh, this at this point in the year, I, I think we're really good in defensive transition. And that doesn't mean that we're not giving up layups from time to time where we have brief downs. But uh, I think as a whole, as the game goes on, that, that we don't give up a lot of easy looks. And Heck, we're going to have our work cut out for us. We have Oakland Craig on Tuesday, and that's a team that really wants to run in transition. So I guess they'll they'll put us to the test here. But um, the things that we try instilling our girls when it comes to transition defense uh, with our five on four plus one, um, we line them up on the the free throw line. We have a team that's going to run back on defense, and then on the baseline, we have a team that's going to go on offense. And we throw the ball to that team on on offense, and whoever their defender is has to go and touch the baseline and. And then they're looking to, to sprint back. But we really preach you have to stop the ball and you have to protect the rim. So basically in everything that we do, and I probably yell it a hundred times a game, ball and rim, ball and rim, ball and rim. Um, you stop the ball and, and you protect the rim. Oftentimes uh, you can just be be good in doing those couple of things. Um, additional things that, that we like to tell our girls to do, uh, we are a no middle defense and we want to be that same thing in transition too we want to try to corral the ball to, to one side of the floor uh i feel if you don't let them cross the midline you aren't forcing girls to you know decide am i in help am i in deny where am i supposed to be if you keep them on one side uh oftentimes you can kind of limit the things that they can do uh not only in transition but but in the half court offense as well so and again we have we have breakdowns all the time where we let them cross the midline and, and we give easy post-ups and, and stuff like that but uh, I think that another thing that our girls hear a lot from me is the most important girl on the floor is the one with the basketball. And and if you can corral her to a side and keep her, you know, where she can't create something in the middle of the floor and, and use both sides of, of the floor, uh, really you're setting yourself, setting your defense up in a position where you're going to be a little bit, a little bit more successful than if you let them, you know, operate on both the left and right hand sides of the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, you could go to my practice and I could go to your practice and the words are a little bit different, but it's pretty much identical. You know, you're saying ball and rim. I'm saying find the lane, find the lane, keep the ball out of the lane, you know, uh, you know, 
you're, you're, you're saying keep the ball out of the middle. I'm saying keep the ball out of Manhattan. You know, it's different verbiage, but the, the same basic concepts there. And, and the five on four plus one, we run that one all the time. That's part of our, on my, on my rough draft practice that I have my desert Island drills, you know, and here's the, here's our four or five most important drills. And we need to run at least one of these every single day, because if I was stuck on a desert Island, um, and, and the basketball God said you could only run three, four, five drills for eternity. What would those three or four or five drills be? And, and that five on four plus one is definitely at the top of our list. And we've ran that one a lot lately for us. And I don't know how, you, what, what do you think of this, Nate? You know, just, you know how it is when you get into the postseason. your, your possessions are going to be, uh, more limited, uh, because teams tend to get more conservative. Therefore, <laughs> It's important to limit transition even more because the the natural thought process or assumption is that's what the other team is going to try to do to you as well. And so we need to make sure we give up as few easy points as possible So because we know we're not going to get as many easy points as we do in the middle of December or the middle of January. Right, yeah. And, and at this point, everybody's got so much film on everyone else too, and you know tendencies, you know things that they want to do on the offensive and defensive side. And, and yeah, that's kind of something that we preach is limit their number of easy looks. And I think the transition is a big one. And I think baseline out of bounds plays, if you can if you can limit any sort of easy looks, easy scores that get on baseline out of bounds plays and just make it difficult so that you can focus on playing half court defense, um, I think that's a big thing too this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that winning on the margin, you know, sneaking, you know, if if you can get a couple of easy baskets on baseline out of bounds plays and you can prevent a couple of easy baskets that's an 8 point swing uh, yeah. and and that's so huge so huge in those scenarios um what are some other competitive drills that you that you guys run that you really like that that kind of get your kids really really competing even more so than they normally do um I would say one of my favorite ones is a, a rebounding drill. It's called Morningside Rebounding. And I think I saw it on a video of Coach McDermott at Creighton running it. And uh, it's a fantastic one. You got, we split them up into teams. We go, we're green and white. So we'll split them up into green and white and we'll try to split them up as evenly as possible. And we'll put maybe greens down on the baseline. We have two girls step out and then we have whites up at the, the free throw elbow. Uh, greens have the opportunity to throw the ball out to the, the two white offensive players. We get a good closeout. Uh, shot goes up, whether it goes in or, or doesn't go in, we play the rebound. Um, if, if it goes in, we're playing it out of the net, and the team that gets the rebound and puts it back in, they get a point. Uh, let's say you get an offensive rebound or, or a defensive rebound and they don't score right away, we're going to play two-on-two until somebody scores. And um, it's, it's a good competitive one. It's a good conditioner too um unfortunately sometimes it's a it's a good one at get, getting girls uh sprained ankles too they just end up landing on one another so this time of the year we don't really do it a whole lot <laughs> just kind of the the fear of injury is, is in the back of my head we had a girl fracture her ankle after our uh holiday turn right at the overtime of our holiday tournament game against Ashton greenwood so we kind of stopped doing that one a little bit but um, early in the year, definitely. That's that's one of my favorite ones, the morning side rebounding. And then we'll play to five points, and then we'll flip it. We'll put the, the opposite teams on the baseline and, and on the elbow. And at the end of it, we don't do a whole lot of like extra running as a result, but we'll take hey, five push-ups, ten push-ups, something like that for the losing team. So um, I think that's a good one that we do. 
Uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to a couple of Concordia Seward women's practices, and I love everything that Drew Olson does there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have a quality squad, and they have for a number of years, and, and they do a lot of competitive drills. And one that I was a couple that I was able to steal from him, uh, he does what's called thirty passing. So it's kind of the same thing. Splits the girls up fairly evenly. Um, maybe we'll take our our top five and we'll play against our our next six. Maybe we'll get a little advantage disadvantage stuff, but. The offense's goal, let's say we're playing five offensive players versus six defense players. Offense's goal is to make 30 passes before giving up five stops or five turnovers. Um, you, you can score points for, for scoring a basket. Let's say you make a three-pointer, you can get points, give them three points for that. But you shoot that three-pointer and the other team gets the rebound, you just you gave up one of the stops. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a good thing for moving without the basketball. Um, and again, it's a competitive thing. Our girls are... Uh, at times just hacking the heck out of one another. Um, so we do have to kind of dial it back a little bit and start calling fouls and maybe make a change in our rules a little bit so that they don't have the, the freedom to think that they can just foul one another. But um, I think that's a really good one. And then maybe we'll flip it around and we'll give the offense an advantage. We'll give them six girls and the, the defense is at the disadvantage. And again, we'll do that, that 30 passing. So uh, it, you play to 30 and again, we'll do like best two out of three or something like that. And losers often are going to do, uh, do pushups for it. So it's a really good one. It's a competitive one. Um, and, and a lot of the times we get our girls competing against one another, but at the end of every single practice, we always have a, a competitive drill where they compete for and with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it 35 in two minutes. And that's just the number that we start with at the beginning of the year. Uh, it kind of looks like your traditional three man weave. Uh, so ball in the, the middle, uh, throw it to the girl on the right-hand wing, and then she's going to skip it across the left-hand wing. Well, that left-hand wing is going to shoot the three-pointer, and those two other girls that threw the initial passes are our rebounders. So mm-hmm. you, you make the three-pointer, you get three points. Uh, you miss it, but you you get the offensive rebound, you put it in, uh, you get one point. If the ball hits the ground at any point, it's, it's a negative one point for us. So we start off the year with uh, 35 is our number, and I think right now we're at 45 mm-hmm. in two minutes is what we, we try to do and uh, just try to increase the number and keep our girls getting better and, and making more shots as the year goes on. But um, it also keeps them in, you know, keeps in mind that even though you're maybe not on pace with where you need to be, you're just, you, you hit four or five shots in a row and you're you're right back where, right back where you need to be. So um, it, it's a good way for us to end practice every single day and, Again, it's just competitive one where if we don't hit our number for the day, well, we're going to do a little bit of extra running. And um, all the girls, you know, they kind of roll their eyes as we don't hit 45 and two, but uh, they, they jump on the line and they give great effort at the end. And we always have a, a common way that we end practice, I guess. Mm-hmm. How important is it to let the drill play out in those situations? Because sometimes you're like, uh, we're a little sloppy with the pass after. 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And, you know, you, you know, we as, as coaches, of course, are control freaks and, and we want it to look a certain way mm-hmm. for the entire time. But sometimes it's important to let it play out the whole time, don't you think? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and, and you put a lot of it on them too, where uh, granted, we've been doing it for a handful of years now. And the girls that are upperclassmen, you know, the first time that we do it, they stop everyone and say, okay this is very important for us to get it. You have to rebound the ball and you have to make your layups. And, and they just kind of put it all on their own shoulders, I guess. Like we don't even tell them how they're supposed to rotate when they shoot the ball. Just 
kind of tell them, you know, figure it out, go play basketball. It's your team. It's not our team. So you guys take control of this. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, let it play out. You never know. Maybe you're sitting at, in this particular drill, you're sitting at 10 points after a minute. And then, like I said, you hit five three-pointers in a row. In a row and um, it, it's just also teaching your girls, I think, to to overcome adversity, even mm-hmm. though that something maybe isn't going your way. You're just a couple of plays away from turning it all around. So, mm-hmm. uh, And I think that's the biggest thing about basketball, too, is there's going to be adversity. Nobody's gonna, ever going to play a perfect game. And you can draw things up exactly how you want them to look, but it's never going to look that way. And it's more how you react to things. And it's not so much being proactive, but it's more being reactive to the things that happen over the course of a game or over the course of a drill in this case. Well, yeah, and, and I think we get into those drills, and let's say, you know, with with your example of, of 45 and two minutes, and you're sitting there with a with a minute into it, and let's say you're at 13 points or whatever, just to pick a random number. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Tuesday night against Oakland Craig, you don't get to go and say, oh, hey, you know what, we played really bad that first half, and we're down 14 points, so... We're just going to restart it. Can we just reset it to the first quarter with eight minutes left to go? No, you got to you got to figure it out now. You got to figure it out, and it puts that pressure on your kids to okay. And and sometimes those are the best victories in those in those two minute drills, those three minute drills, those four minute drills where you're not on pace, but they figure it out. They find a way to get it done, and they hit their goal, and that helps carry over into competition when you're down. And that's something you can refer to in those in those huddles or at that halftime that says, hey, you know, we've been here in practice before. Now we just need to figure it out just like we did in practice. Um, I, I know that's conversations I've had. I'm sure that's the same conversations you've had with your teams at various points. Yeah, without a doubt. Like you said, it's we live in kind of a, a reset world right now where something's not going your way. Um, you're playing a video game or something, hit the reset button. Well, that's unfortunately not realistic in, in a lot of things that take place in real life, I guess. So, um, yeah, it'd be really easy to kill the drill and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to give you one more chance at this. Come on, we can do this. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it's just not realistic in, in an actual game. I mean, you find yourself down in situations you, you don't get to just start over you got to find a way to, to to climb your way out of it and and improve um for for yourselves and for one another and, and find ways to get things done i guess mm-hmm. well speaking of getting things done and having options to do that uh one of the things i've i've really appreciated preparing to play your teams the last couple of years is the the flexibility that you have with your offensive system and you know we were talking uh off off, before we start recording, that you feel like you've got about twenty, twenty-five ish things that you can that you can bring and, and draw up and, and have your kids run pretty effectively. Um, you know how how have you built that catalog of, of sets and quick hitters and, and getting your kids to, to execute at that high level? And, and what are kind of some key themes or some key concepts that you're looking forward or that you look for when you're putting together your quick hitter list or your set playlist going to, into each season? Um, you know, and I think the thing is we, we use basically the same ones every single year. So girls have been around the program. They're, they're comfortable with pretty much everything that we do. And maybe we throw in, you get into this time of year and everybody's got you scouted so well. And granted, if you're running 25 to 30 set plays, you don't have them all scouted, but, uh, you throw some additional things in towards the end of the year that maybe don't show up on film. And, and your girls are able to roll with it. But I think the biggest thing is we just practice them all the time. Um, it takes some time out of your out of your practice schedule to, you know, you're going to try to run 25 different set plays. And you're going to run 
15 to 20 different based on out of bounds plays, you got to practice them. You got to practice them with different girls and in different positions. Um, unfortunately, it's just a realistic thing. We're going to get in foul trouble and we're not going to have the, the girl on the floor that we like running this particular play for. So her substitute needs to know how to do it at a, at a very high level too. So um, fortunately, a lot of things that we do, it, it's minor movement. It, it's a couple of actions and then we play basketball off of it and that's kind of just the way that we we explain it to them too as we start presenting all of our set plays is you know we're giving you an idea of of what we want to see but at the end of the day just go be a basketball player i know when we start off the year and we start running these these set plays with our freshmen they're very overwhelmed on the first day like oh okay so we put in five on the first day or in the first week and then we put in five more and i think i see some of their eyes roll like are we gonna just put five plays in every single week (laughs) no trust me eventually we will stop we're not we're not gonna do this for the rest of the season but um yeah it's just important i think uh with the quality of opponent that we play over the course of the year sometimes you just gotta you gotta have something to help you generate a, a score or generate or sometimes even just generate a shot mm-hmm. get yourself a, a good look at the basket even if you don't make it just um just get a good look and um hopefully hopefully be able to uh to jump start your offense from there so uh we, we run a lot of sets um teams that like we played ashton greenwood this year and their coach is like you've, you've been at bergen for a while haven't you i'm like well this is my 11th year as head coach he goes well i can tell because you guys have a laundry list of set plays i watch you on film says i think the only guy that has more set plays than you guys sean forbes over at wahoo so um yeah we, we run a lot of stuff and uh fortunately our, our girls are smart enough that uh they can they can pick up on all of it and we just have good basketball players that, that make plays even if the play does fall apart a couple of questions related to that do uh do you kind of go in uh let's day before you're getting ready to play ashland and and you say uh all right girls hey tomorrow night uh, I'm really looking at we're going to run Zipper, we're going to run Joker, we're going to run Chicago, we're going to run Omaha. Uh, those are going to be you know the top four or five sets that we're going to run here tonight. Do you give them a little bit of a preview of, of what you're thinking going into each ballgame? Uh, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that we will do is obviously through scouting we can decide whether a team's primarily a man-to-man defense or if they're a zone defense. And the day before we'll Let's say we're playing against a, a zone team. Maybe they're running a three-two or something like that. We'll we'll spend most of our our set play time going like, okay, well we're going to go over one game. We're going to go over two game. Duke, Lou, Husker, Corner. The ones that we'll we'll plan to run against that zone. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if we're playing against a team that's uh, primarily man-to-man, we'll we'll focus more on those set plays. But uh, maybe before the game, I'll say, hey, we're this is what we want to start with. Might be in our you know five minutes before the, the opening tip when we meet up in the locker room prior to coming out and shooting right before the game starts. Maybe we'll say, hey, this is what we're thinking. But uh, in practice, now we don't really highlight like, well, these are the ones that that are going to be uh, more on my mind than any other ones. That I think our girls all know like, well, you may call anything at any time. So um, they're kind of on their toes out there all the time, and, and they're trained pretty well at it too. Um, mm-hmm. Anytime there's a dead ball. I got five eyes on me all the time, just waiting to see what kind of set play or whatever it is that we're going to be running off of it. So um, our, our girls are very detail oriented, um, and and it shows with everything they do on the court. Mm-hmm. And you kind of do, and and what you've given my girls trouble with, uh, especially last uh, my my first year, uh, was the the multiple looks uh, out of your defense as well, especially your your full court stuff. Uh, I remember when we were playing you and I leaned over to my assistant and I said, 
this is what we want to look like in three years, where here's here's the same basic look, uh, but we're going to play it straight up. We're going to trap it right away. We're going to do some run and jump. You, the opponent just doesn't know what's coming. And, it, you know, I know that you're reading that. I remember uh, the first year we played you guys and you ran, I think, four different looks out of the same setup uh, of a press. And, and I, you know, I, I, that was really impressive to me. That's really, really hard for kids to do. Uh, is, is the same uh, teaching emphasis uh, on your defensive side of the ball and what you do with your, with your, with your defenses uh, in kind of that same vein of just, you know, yeah, we have all these different looks, but they're all kind of related to one another. And, you know, here's this and here's that, but go out and make a basketball play. Is that kind of the way you guys do it, Nate? Yeah, I think so. And if I were to describe our defense to anyone, I would say we're kind of a Swiss army knife of, Mm -hmm. of a number of things. Like we, we dictate a lot of it on personnel too. Like maybe we have a group of girls that starting the game and we feel like, you know, the run and jump getting going down the sideline and blind trap from behind is, is our best look. And we did a lot of run and jump last year. We really haven't done a whole lot of it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we think the, the one, two, two or the one, two, one, one is the best look of our personnel, but you know, it, it, you're kind of playing mind games with the other team too. They call a timeout, drawing up a way to, to break your press. It's like, okay, oh, trust well, me, I've been there, now. Nate. I know, I've been there against you. I know, I know. Yeah. So yeah. then, I mean, then you switch to the two, two, one, and you get the the front side trap, and yeah, it's it's fun to do. Um, when when I first started, we uh, kind of like you're saying, it's something that I always wanted to be able to get to, mm-hmm. where. You know, you can vary your, your defensive looks and, and trap from different places and kind of just create something that was all of our own. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it took a while. And, and it's, I mean, we're not we're not perfect at it right now by any means. We have our fair share of, of layups and transition by getting beat on the press. But um, we just, you know, maybe we spend 10 minutes of practice where, hey, we're going to focus on 2-2-1 today. Maybe we'll spend 10 minutes the, the next day's practice where we're going to focus on our we call it blitz. Our our one two one one. We run a couple of different looks out of blitz, where we'll trap it right away. Um, we'll run what we call cheat, where we make it look like we're gonna go trap. You know, you run into teams that they like to throw right back to their inbounder. Well, we cheat it, make it look like we're gonna trap, and then we try to jump the pass. Or maybe we have a, a soft call on where we're gonna trap the the first reversal instead. So um, it, it's just fun things to do, where you can vary the the basically like you said the same look, but but get different different results, different traps out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's it's a bear to prepare for. I mean, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. Um, like I said, I, I, I that was a true story. The, the first time we played you guys last season, I, I, I leaned over at my assistant about halfway through the third quarter, and I said, this is what we want to look like in three years. This is, this is how we want it to be. This is the different looks that we want to throw at people. And um, so it's, you've done a terrific job on, on both sides of the ball there. And, and the last thing I want to talk about with you is, is your basketball culture. We talked about your school's culture and the way you shared athletes and things like that. But, you know, what do you feel like are the, the real major strengths of just your basketball team's culture? And what do you guys do to emphasize that? Well, I, I should maybe start about five years ago when uh, I don't know that our culture was necessarily in a great place. Um, we, we hadn't had a lot of success with uh, myself at the helm of the program, and we started turning the corner. And, and unfortunately, I, I think I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on our girls. Uh, we're, our 
since uh, 2008, prior to 2018, our girls program hadn't qualified for the state tournament since 2002. And then prior to that, we qualified in 1987 and 1988. So historically, I mean, we haven't been a, a perennial state tournament team by any means. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we had a group of girls that, that came through um, and we saw a lot of a lot of promise in them. We knew that, that they could be the team to kind of break the streak of not qualifying for the state tournament. And I, I think I kind of built like a, not, I don't want to necessarily say like win at all cost type culture, mm-hmm. but it was, it was more like us against the world type culture. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that as a result of that, it was hard for our underclassmen to kind of find their way into, into that particular type of team setting. And as a result, I mean, we, we had a really good team. I think that was the year actually that we qualified for the first time in the state tournament and got by, got beat by uh, Superior and Kalen Meyer down there in the Class C2 state tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we had a handful of issues with girls just not getting long, and um, it, it, it just wasn't in a good place. So uh, we made sure that next year that we did anything that we could to, to turn that around. And, again, I, I'm going to bring up Drew Olson here. We were able to attend a, a sewer Concordia practice, and he splits his girls into these uh, – I don't remember exactly like VIPs or something like that, or VPs. I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but at the beginning of the year, we have our team captains draft teams and that is, that is their team over the course of the year. And and we do something that that we stole from them that we call daily fun every day. So you have a group of freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors all, all combined with one another. And we're just playing stupid games at the beginning of practice. So we'll always start off the same way. We're going to warm up, we'll get up and down, do some stretching, some calisthenics stuff. Um, we'll start off with prayer, and then we uh, we play a daily fun game. It could be trivia, it could be Pictionary, it could be charades, it could be name that tune, it could be something with the basketball. Like, i got to make X number of granny shots from the three-point line, and the team that does it the fastest gets the most points for the day. But um, at the end of it, we'll we'll keep tracks of, of their total wins, their total points, and at the end of the year, the, the winning team gets some gift cards. So... Uh, I think it's a way that we've built camaraderie amongst our our freshmen through senior groups, uh, and and again we just had to we had to change something that we were doing. Um, another thing that we did we kind of stole from Northwestern College and Chris Yaw there. Uh, we have our our seniors carry the waters. At the beginning of the year, I, I reach out to all of them and said, "Hey, the, we're going to have a little bit of servant leadership here. It's really easy for a, a senior girl to say, freshman, you got to grab the waters.'" But when the freshmen see the seniors putting themselves out there and like, nope, I got it. I'm going to carry them. I got them on the bus. Uh, and we travel every other practice. We go to the YMCA here in Fremont and we're able to practice right after school. But we have to travel and we have seniors that are giving rides to freshman girls and seniors are grabbing the waters. They're, they're grabbing those freshman girls and, and heading to practice. So um, I, I think that we just had kind of a, a big culture shift and just a couple of things like that. And um, it's it's a lot more welcoming now. I wish I would have known this a lot earlier, but when it was brought to my attention, I think it was a little bit too late that year. Uh, but it was definitely something that we were able to change, and I, I think we've turned around since then. Awesome ideas. I, I love the uh, the seniors carrying the waters uh, and and doing things like that. Because like you said, a lot of times seniors kind of, you know, uh, not, not not all the time, but there, there are scenarios where, well... I'm the senior now and, mm-hmm. you know, worship me, if you will. And right. that's, that's the 
exact opposite of what you want. You want your seniors to be the most humble people, if at all possible, uh, to 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 pass that baton on to the next group. So I love I love that idea there. I also like that drafting of of teams. Um, we can never play name that tune because I would spoil it for them the entire time. <laughs> so I'd be I'd be blurting out the answer. So. Um, Great stuff tonight, Nate. Uh, just, just really, really good stuff. And, and uh, uh, it, it, you know, any social media that you want to plug for your program? Uh, Bergen Girls Basketball on Twitter. I always tell my girls that I'm going to be on top of it, but I'm, I'm not very technologically savvy. I guess I, I understand how the Twitter stuff works, but um, I'm spending more time watching film, I guess, than anything else to be tweeting a whole lot, but. If you want to follow Bergen Girls Basketball on Twitter, we're also on Facebook. Um, a lot of information on there. The one thing that I, I will give a plug here, the, a coach prior to me, his name's Joe O'Cavage. He was at Bergen, a teacher at Bergen, I think, for 42 years. He was at the helm of the girls' basketball program for, for a strong majority of those years. He did a fantastic job of compiling stats from every single year that he was involved. And I was able to put those all in PDF form and put them on our, our Facebook page. So uh, just a, a plethora of Bergen girls basketball history on there. And um, it, it's, it's just cool to look back at, at all of the names of some of the girls that are uh, girls that are on our team that had parents that played on the teams and, mm-hmm. and girls, parents that show up on our top 25 list. So uh, yeah, you want to give us a follow at Bergen girls basketball on Twitter or Facebook. We would definitely appreciate it. Uh, definitely will be done. So, uh, Nate Pribnow, the head girls basketball coach at Fremont Bergen. Uh, coach, great job tonight. Hope you enjoyed being on the podcast. I did. It was a fun time, and maybe someday I'll be able to come back. Uh, yeah, well, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have some round. Here, here's what I want. I, I, I don't want you back anytime soon because, <laughs> you know, we'll probably have some roundtables down at the state tournament, um, COVID willing. Uh, but if you're at the roundtables, that means that you're not coaching. Or that, yeah, exactly. That means that you're not coaching, yeah. and so you, you know, even though it's great to be on the roundtable, it's not exactly where you want to be at, and especially with the yeah, type of team that you have this year. Um, you know, I, I don't want you sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> you know, if if we're in that situation as well. So, uh, but uh, yeah, Nate, great job tonight. Really appreciate you coming on. It's it's been a blast talking with you here. So, all right, thanks uh, a lot, Marty. Hey, could you uh, hold the line here a second? We'll wrap everything up. Yep. Uh, Nate Pribnow, the head girls basketball coach at Fremont Bergen High School here in Nebraska. We want to thank him for being on the pod. We also want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Again, if you're in any need of chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, review this podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Don't forget about the 25 Universal Truths About Coaching video that is offered $10. It's a really, really good video. Uh, and also, don't forget, Saturday, April the 9th, put it on your calendar. It's going to be a great day. We're going to try some new and different things that you don't normally see at a coach's clinic. Uh, so looking forward to having uh, a lot of folks at, at our school that day. So, coaches. As always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.